Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 148 and it's 29th of November 2020. How has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty good, thank you. Um, it's all going along pretty normally, pretty boring because of lockdown. <laughs> um, not been a huge amount of Star Wars, to be honest, apart from The Mandalorian, which we have a lot of opinions on, so we'll be sharing those in due course. Um, but yeah, no, I'm all well, thank you. How about you, Kirsty? How are you doing? Um, pretty much the same. Yeah, I haven't like been reading any Star Wars or anything, so it is just kind of waiting for the Mandalorian episode every week. But it's it's a nice thing to look forward to. Exactly. So, yeah, like I do enjoy yeah. that having like a new dose of Star Wars every week. It's always takes me by surprise, you know, when I wake up on a Friday and I'm like, wow, this new Star Wars. That's a nice feeling. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just a different rhythm to get used to when, you know, the previous formula was like, wait a year, get a movie, wait a year, get another movie, wait a year, get another movie <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, like it's For nice. Sure. I like it. Um, but yeah, um, before we get into the show proper, we must mention that we've had some sad news um, on the day we're recording, actually, which is that David Prowse, who, of course, was the body of Darth Vader in the original trilogy, he's passed away at the age of 85. Um, so yeah, it's obviously sad news. It's a good age, you know, 85. It's a grand old age to reach, but still it's a sad loss for Star Wars and we have his family, his loved ones, his friends. Um, so yeah, just wanted to make sure we made a point of that. It's also the Green Cross Man in the I know. UK. Yeah. Very important role in supporting road safety. It is sad. I I wonder sometimes if he's as well known for people, like younger people these days, uh, compared to James L. Jones, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, but his performance is so key obviously the voice of vader is important but also the physicality yeah so no and that's a really good point so i feel like when david prowse is brought up it's often you know to make it a bit of a joke you know they'll show the behind the scenes footage where it's um david prowse with his bristol accent you know saying the lines of Darth vader and obviously it doesn't sound right at all because Darth vader is james Earl jones vocally but yeah like it's a shame to just focus on that aspect when yeah, as Kirsty said, the physicality is all important to making you believe that character. And yeah, if you think to like Return of the Jedi, for example, so much is done non-verbally, you know, with the Vader performance there, is these little tilts of the head and these like slight movements of the body. And it's all quite subtle and careful. And yeah, like he just did a fantastic job and he was really integral to the creation of that character. Yeah, I always think of his entrance in star wars a new hope um when he just walks into that corridor and he's got his hands on his hips yes. and he's pointing and oh, he just yeah such a physically imposing presence that's so important to that character yeah no it's such a striking image and i think if you didn't have the perfect person in that armor then the character just wouldn't have come off you know there's a good reason why vader is one of the most iconic villains of all time and David Prowse is a big part of that reason. So yeah, thank you, David Prowse. And yeah, rest in peace. Sad news. Thank you, David. Okay, sad news to segue from, but let's quickly move into the news that we have. Um, It's all Mandalorian focused this time. Uh, Yeah, so you have a report from Star Wars Newsnet, don't you, Kirsty? Yeah, well, I think it was 
Giancarlo Esposito was talking to Entertainment Weekly, mm-hmm. um, and he was discussing his character in the second season and the show as a whole. First of all, the Emmy-nominated actor answered one of the questions that we all assumed had a positive answer, but we didn't really know for sure, is there going to be more Gideon in this season? Here's what he said. I hope that everyone gets excited when I finally get into the season. Also, I think it's partly a design of the construct of the show. You focus your attention on the journey. Let's see where the Mandalorian and the child will go, and what their allegiances may be as they flow through that. He followed that up with some eyebrow-raising comments about the fate of his character next season. But I have a feeling you'll see more of me next season. More than likely, you're going to see a lot of Moff Gideon. I can't be sure of that, but it seems as though this iconic journey that they want you to feel it. I think you're going to start to see other storylines start to creep in. When we start to realise there's such a deep connection between the show's storylines and the rest of the galaxy, and what's really happening, maybe you'll get an inkling of what he wants. So I'm kind of surprised that he's actually able to <laughs> talk about season three at all. Yeah, that is true. It would be like equivalent, I guess, to Adam Driver talking about Kylo's arc in The Rise of Skywalker when he was promoting The Last Jedi. <laughs> Obviously not quite that extreme because we're talking about seasons of a TV show. Um, But yeah, you're right. It's surprisingly informative, I suppose, by Star Wars standards. I'm not used to the actors being so open when they talk about how their character is going to develop. Yeah, and then it confirms that he'll definitely be in the next season. Because I think we could have maybe assumed that about Kylo Ren. But, well, maybe not. I don't know. I guess Ryan did have Snoke cut in half. (laughs) Anything can happen, but... After Force Awakens, Kirsty, I think there was some people saying that he might have bled out in the forest on Starkiller, like died of his wounds. <laughs> okay. Can you imagine? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, poor baby. Um, but yeah, in terms of these comments from Giancarlo, um, yeah, like I find the part about the allegiances of the Mandalorian and the child very intriguing. Like mm-hmm. and this is like real crack, but it's like, are we gonna see the child like in an in imperial uniform with like yellow <laughs> eyes, like like exercising Sith powers? Who knows? Honestly, it makes me wonder if Mando is gonna be betrayed by someone. Because mm. he is very trusting. That is true, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there has been a surprisingly lax attitude towards the child as well in these last few episodes. Like, in the previous episode to the most recent one, Baby was just left in a schoolroom. Anyone could have nabbed him. In the most recent episode that we're going to talk about today, Baby was just, like, left on a ship randomly for, like, a good chunk of the episode, and it was all chill and fine. I feel that's mm. going to come back to haunt him, you know? So yeah. I think I someone mean, is going to betray that trust. We know, but he doesn't know that there's a tracker on it. Yes, um, that is true. And I'm just thinking... I guess we don't know if we're going to see Bo-Katan again this season and I think Sasha Banks has confirmed that we won't see Koska Reeves again and she's obviously travelling with Bo-Katan. I guess we could see Bo-Katan without that character. Mm. Um, But I don't know. I know that Bo-Katan really wants that Darksaber so maybe she would make this dirty trade with Moff Gideon. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. That had not crossed my <laughs> mind. That's the sort of thing I'd really want to see, to be honest, because that would really up the stakes. Because obviously part of the charm of The Mandalorian is that it's very simple and it usually has a very black and white morality. There's no confusion whatsoever about who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, you know, and who you're meant to trust and who you're not meant to trust. That's normally blindingly clear. So yeah, mm. to have a character that you consider to be a good guy, like Bo-Katan, 
do something like that and betray the child. That would be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, this won't be clear to people who are just getting familiar with that character from this show, but Bo-Katan is kind of morally ambiguous in a lot of ways that might be surprising. Mm. Especially when we first meet her and she's with Death Watch, so... Might go back to her old, dirty tricks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and yeah, with Moff Gideon, like we've obviously been getting lots and lots of teases of him throughout this season. And I think the most substantial part we've had for him really is when he appeared as like a hollow recording and basically told the Imperial officer that they needed to like down the ship before it could be taken by... Mando and Bo-Katan etc beyond that it's mostly just been him looking imposing and glowering at people <laughs> which he's very good at he, he's excellent at it he has a great face for doing that he's got this real like imperious stance to him so yeah like he's being used in a good way but I really want to see him get something meatier to chew on you know I want to see an episode where he is the like acting villain for the whole thing um, which I think happened once in season one I feel like even then he wasn't as prominent as you might expect given the status of the actor who's playing him yeah he did come in at kind of the 11th hour but yeah I think from this we can kind of gauge that we'll see a lot more of him relatively soon so exactly good to know they might have a redemption arc set up for him who knows (laughs) (laughs) love a good redemption arc that's not on my bingo card but I'll keep it in mind. I should put together like a completely crack bingo card where it's got things on it like Baby Yoda wears an imperial uniform. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so funny. Um, Okay, cool. So let's move into our spotlight discussion um, because yeah, there's not much news today. That's basically it for this time. Um, Which is of course a discussion of the latest Mandalorian episode which is chapter 13 The Jedi. So yeah, this is obviously a big episode for lots of reasons. We have the big guest star, who is Ahsoka, obviously. And there's lots of big, big revelations that potentially switch up our understanding of a lot of the characters and indeed perhaps the direction of the show as a whole. Um, So yeah, there's been lots of buzz about this episode. And I'll start with you, Kirsty. What's your overall thoughts? Well, actually, before I get into my thoughts on the episode, Mm -hmm. I did want to address the concerns that a lot of fans, including us, have around the casting of Rosario Dawson. Yes. Um, And I'm going to quote an article from Vanity Fair a while back, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware of, that was primarily focused on the Gina Carano fan backlash, as they phrased it, which I didn't love, but... Basically, a lot of the concerns that trans and genderqueer fans validly have about some of the casting choices and the behaviour of people at Lucasfilm. And the stuff around Rosario Dawson is obviously less clear-cut than Gina, because Gina has been showing her ass on social media for everyone to see. Um, But I'm going to read from this Vanity Fair article. Another prominent actor has been drawn into the uproar, although that situation is even less clear-cut. Rumours that Rosario Dawson may be appearing as a fan-favourite character in this season of The Mandalorian have percolated for months, although Lucasfilm has not officially confirmed her participation. Nonetheless, some of the same fans, troubled by Carano's actions, have raised concerns about Dawson, citing a lawsuit filed against the actor last year by a long-time family friend who accused Dawson and her family of anti-trans discrimination. 
Dawson, who has been a long-time supporter of LGBTQIA plus organisations and causes and identifies as part of that community, has denied the accusations as baseless. Some of the Star Wars fandom is wary. I don't know the whole story there, and there's no easy way to point to a screenshot of her being a Trumper where we can go, okay, this is the problem. But I don't want to discount the words and the experiences of people who have dealt with her, Justice said. I hope that things come out in a way that doesn't prove that we've hired another person who is going to have a negative impact on the fandom. But there has been a quiet development in the case that hasn't gotten any of the attention of the original charge. In August, plaintiff Dedrick Finley voluntarily withdrew 18 of the 20 accusations against Dawson and her family, according to court documents. His attorney verified to Vanity Fair that the dropped claims included the accusations of misgendering and discrimination. There was no settlement and that lawyer has since left the case. The final two claims involving an alleged physical altercation between Finley and Dawson's mother at the property where they had invited Finley to reside is still pending, according to court documents. An LA County Superior Court will decide next month whether to dismiss those as well, or if there is enough evidence to move forward with the case. Dawson's representatives declined to comment, and no current representative of Finley could be found. For some, the accusation lingers, despite most of the case already going Dawson's way. We want to believe that Rosario Dawson is innocent. We don't enjoy disliking people, self-described Star Wars fan Josephina Vineyard, who uses they-them pronouns, wrote to Vanity Fair. But it is simply more realistic to assume that if one is accused of something so common as transphobia, that there is likely merit to that. Upon learning the latest developments in the case, Justice told Vanity Fair, I will always have some kind of reservation towards supporting someone who has had those kinds of allegations. Just a little bit of hesitancy of not wanting to support someone who may have victimised someone. But if they're part of an ensemble cast of something I already enjoy, I'm not going to initiate a boycott based on something that was thrown out of court. And there's absolutely nothing to point to here that says it's a pattern. I feel bad for everyone involved. If it isn't true, Rosario Dawson has been through all of this hell for nothing. If it is true, what can we do about it now? I was glad to see Vanity Fair like acknowledge this, just to start off, um, in relation to the article, because yeah, with Dawson, like it, I do have very complicated feelings about it, because obviously there is this legal case and there are these claims about like the behaviour and what was done, and if any of it is substantiated, that's obviously really disgusting and gross and disappointing it feels like the show almost needs to take more responsibility for this stuff because it's one thing if you get like a loose cannon like Gina but I think it's just the idea that there's several of these prominent actors involved in the show that have all these controversies and like issues attached to them and it's just kind of like are these really the only people you could find to play these roles (laughs) I think just really what would be good to see is to have some level of responsibility from Stoll's and Lucasfilm as a bigger entity, you know, to acknowledge that there are these concerns and to, like, show support for trans people. Wild, I know. Perhaps the most disappointing thing in all this is just that resounding silence, you know, because it doesn't take much to power tweet or power statement. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at too. We obviously don't know what's going to happen with the case with Rosario Dawson. Um, I do have a little bit of reservation around the idea that because accusations are dropped, it means that someone's automatically innocent. Because mm. if you look at if you look at the potential power disparity here, it's obviously one of note. Um, yeah. It's, it's difficult. Um, 
So I, I'm with you in that it's not necessarily about one specific person. It's that there has been this growing concern from the queer community within the Star Wars fandom who would just like to have some kind of acknowledgement and addressing of it from Lucasfilm. Mm. But that's clearly not where they're going. They've clearly made the choice at this point during the season. You know, this has been going on long enough. People have been voicing these concerns for a long time because... Rosario was heavily rumoured for the role like months and months ago really wasn't it it was a long time um, and the Gina stuff has been going on for a while now and the strategy clearly is just don't say anything and this is the most recognition we've got from someone high profile this acknowledgement from Anthony Bresnikan and Joanna Robinson at Vanity Fair yeah. I'm, I'm just really disappointed and I, I'm feeling for a lot of queer Star Wars fans yeah I'm not a huge Ahsoka fan, but I feel like it must be this real mixed feeling if you are and you're watching this and you want to be excited and happy, but there's something in the back of your mind that says, I don't I don't know how to feel about this, you know? Yeah. And that's obviously to a different extent with Cara Dune because she wasn't an established character and it's, it's very new, but I think it's naive for us to just be like, oh, well, we can just separate art from the artist. It's not that simple. And I think when you have these powerful voices... You really need someone else similarly in power to, to stand up, and I would just like to see that from Lucasfilm, and it's just not happening. Yeah, it's a real shame. I think one of the good things, at least, to have come out of all this is that there has been a lot of fan activism and fan initiatives to try and draw attention to like trans rights and to like provide real like financial support to organizations that are supporting trans people um see i think again this is a good opportunity to direct people towards the fundraiser trans rights are human rights this is the way um and we'll link people to it again in the notes um and i think we've yeah and we've definitely mentioned this fundraiser before but it's a good time to mention it again and i'm also happy to report that it has now exceeded its goal um so it's currently on seventeen thousand three hundred and thirty four dollars at the time we're recording of its fifteen thousand dollar target so that's really fantastic to see i'm glad it's done so well but yeah there's no upper limit essentially to the money that could be raised for this cause essentially and there are many many people that could be helped by those funds so yeah definitely check that out yeah so i just want to reiterate that if people aren't comfortable watching this season of the mandalorian it's totally understandable you don't have to justify yourself to anyone yeah you know like it's it's totally fair yeah no exactly no one should feel under any obligation to watch something if it's going to be difficult for them for any reason so shall we get into it i guess we have some complex and possibly conflicting views on this episode yes <laughs> There's, there are lots of feelings about this episode um so yeah let's go back to the first question what are your general feelings about this episode Kirsty? what's your like top line review um it was fine <laughs> what a hot take i know i <laughs> i was i knew it was coming because obviously stuff around ahsoka is always going to be passionate you know it's this iconic character who you know, it's been part of Star Wars for a long time now, and a lot of fans grew up watching her as this—you know—the first female Jedi, really, the main character. That's yeah. a huge deal. And to see that character leap to live action—that was always going to be this thing that would generate a lot of discussion, a lot of disagreement. 
Um, and I really like Ahsoka in The Clone Wars. This is obviously a very different version of Ahsoka. She's gone on this huge journey. Um, we'll get into that later, but to me, she, she felt kind of right for where she would be at at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like a lot of the episodes this season, um, I, I thought it was okay. I enjoyed it, but not like groundbreaking. So not love, not hate, just kind of somewhere in the middle. And it's been kind of interesting to see the extreme reactions <laughs> from a lot of people in the fandom. And that's understandable because, you know, people love Star Wars. So they're going to react strongly to it either way. Um for me, it's just somewhere kind of in the middle. We'll get into the specifics because there are things that I liked and there was things I was like, mm, that seemed a bit clumsy and um, kind of echoing what we were saying last week about our growing concerns about what this show as a whole is kind of adding up to and what it's potentially setting up elsewhere that might end up taking precedent and overshadowing these characters. But yeah, I, I thought there were parts of it that were visually stunning um, I thought it had, had clear cinematic influences that um, arguably were missing from Dave Filoni's earlier episodes and it felt a kind of a bit more in line with what I recognised as his storytelling point of view from The Clone Wars and Rebels, so that was nice to see. Awesome. He seemed more comfortable, you know. Yeah. No, I think that's all really fair. I think you took a very Jedi approach to the episode, Kirsty. <laughs> oh, is that a good or a bad thing? That's a good thing. It's a- Get into some Jedi discourse. <laughs> I feel like I took more of a Sith approach, shall we say, um, in that I did start to let my negative feelings consume me. So I've had to fight <laughs> back against that. And like, obviously, I'm joking a bit, you know. Like, and I want to be very clear: I did not like hate this episode of a burning passion or anything. I suppose it just exemplified my worst fears about what the Mandalorian might be becoming. And I feel like my disappointment in that was amplified when I saw the incredibly ecstatic reactions towards this episode from some people. And that makes me feel like an absolute asshole, to be honest, for thinking that way, because for the most part, I'm really glad that people loved it. You know, I think when people love a Star Wars thing, I feel that's wonderful. And I'm excited that people loved it, even if I didn't necessarily love it myself. I think it's just because the nature of social media essentially means that there are lots of reactions along the lines of this is the Star Wars content we need and like Dave Filoni needs to be making all the creative decisions for Star Wars storytelling from this point forward and that sort of thing and obviously the people saying these things are just regular fans you know and in all probability those things will not happen but I think it speaks to like my primal fears regarding Star Wars because as far as I'm concerned those would be very bad things for the franchise and I feel like this episode my main issue is that it reminded me of the rise of Skywalker in that it didn't seem to be about anything in as much as it was about Star Wars itself you know like I struggle to see what this episode was communicating thematically or in terms of its characters that had any commentary on anything that was like relatable or true or like emotionally resonant you know like it was just oh here's a character you remember from the clone wars and here's a baby yoda with a backstory that ties into the prequels isn't that interesting like i struggled to grasp anything more to it you know and there were are these like nods to the emotional journeys for the characters and stuff which i appreciated but I felt like all the emotion where it 
did appear in this episode. It was all dependent on your knowledge of the earlier films. And yeah, I'm just not sure what someone who came to this with no knowledge of the Clone Wars and had no idea who Ahsoka was, I'm not sure what someone in that boat would get from this episode. But at the same time, I have heard reports from people saying they watched it with someone who has never seen any of the cartoons, has no idea who Ahsoka is, and those people still found it perfectly easy to follow and really enjoyed it. And that's fantastic, you know, and I should stop thinking so much and just be happy that that's the case. I don't know, I feel like in some ways this represented the worst impulses of Star Wars storytelling. But then again, it's really not offensively bad or anything like that. I think it's just more what it represents symbolically that has me concerned. Sorry, that was a lot. I'm going to shut up and let you respond, Kirsty. I understand. And I I think we're not too far removed from each other because, you know, as, as we spoke about last week, we do have these kind of concerns about like um, what the show itself is trying to say. And I I, I thought that there was more interesting things going on in this episode with regard to like the force magic and the philosophy um behind star wars um and i think that did tie into the the emotional connection between din and grogu um <laughs> don't go there don't do it i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking yeah i i feel like whatever name they would have picked people wouldn't have loved instantly <laughs> yes baby yoda has kind of taken over the popular imagination um but I, I don't mind Grogu. I think there are lots of silly names in Star Wars and it's no sillier than anything else, to be honest. Sheev. Um, Sheev. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Please continue. Sorry. Um, so I, I get what you're saying, but I think there was more there than there have been in previous episodes. Mm. Um, there was a lot of atmosphere and I just liked kind of that. There was a lot of action, but there was also a lot of silence and sitting and and reflection on the characters and them just connecting and I just I enjoyed that um yeah no and that is a really good point I felt all the stuff in the forest where it's just Ahsoka and Mando and Baby Yoda I did enjoy that and that was absolutely the highlight for me and yeah a lot of it was because it was just silence you know and it wasn't so reliant on these big flashy action sequences there's perhaps a little bit too much like of an info dump feel to some of those scenes because there is lots of information deposited upon you in a very fast way um but yeah there are lots of nice silent moments too yeah i can see why that stuff would feel a bit jarring to people because suddenly baby yoda has a backstory yeah (laughs) um and obviously it's not him expressing it it's ahsoka who's kind of reading his mind and being able to convey that to din but um all of that, I think, served to highlight the connection between Din and Baby Yoda, in, in my opinion, because it started me thinking about the parallels between their backstories and childhoods growing up and being rescued and taken elsewhere, and, and now they've kind of found each other. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether that's explored or if it's just kind of left there. Um but yeah, and I, I did think there was a lot of striking imagery. I mean, that that moment when they're sat in the forest and the, there's that huge full moon behind them and there's the silhouette of Ahsoka and she's just sitting there with with Baby and Din is like nervously pacing back and forth. Yeah. By the way, um, I'm not going to call you out if you call him Grogu again. <laughs> just to be clear, oh, I, mean, I don't want to be mean I, about that. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to suddenly stop calling him Baby Yoda. That's far too imprinted at this point. 
But yeah, no, I agree. There's lots of beautiful imagery in the episode. And I think that's one area where you can see real progression for Filoni from season one. Like he's clearly become much more confident in the visuals he's drawing upon, which is really nice to see. Yeah, I can see that moment becoming um, kind of like a standout for the series. Um, and I, I don't know if we'll see Ahsoka again in The Mandalorian, but I just felt like that was such a powerful visual. Yeah. that I, I can see that image of her with Yoda and, and the, the moon behind them being put on all sorts of merchandise and stuff. You know, yeah. it seemed very um, iconic. The screenshot that launched a thousand t-shirts. Yeah, overall, I guess I'm, I know this sounds really boring because I'm just not really sure how I feel about it. Mm. And I had been missing the Jedi and the lightsabers from the movies. Yeah. Um, even though I know that's not essential and it's not the main draw for a lot of people. But um, it, it's a big part of why I love Star Wars. So, um, yeah, there are things I like and things I, I don't love, um, including some name drops and stuff like that. But, uh, I, know I don't know how to move mean. forward. Well, Sorry. yeah, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. We'll get there, because, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't totally dislike it and I don't love it. And the reviews in general seem pretty mixed, honestly. Um, I enjoyed it more on second viewing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just part of me that I think is stopped from loving it because it feels a lot like a backdoor pilot in terms of like introducing Ahsoka and making her such a major character that um, I'm like, oh, is this a setup for an Ahsoka spin-off? Yeah. Especially with the name drop. It's like, is this kind of paving the way for a rebel sequel which it also was confusing because i thought that was going to be animated i thought that was kind of the rumor for the follow-up of that story um and maybe it will or maybe this is kind of laying the ground for something else entirely overall i'm happy for the fans of ahsoka who are happy with this episode and i'm happy for filoni that he's been able to bring her to to life like this because maybe he wanted to do that for a long time and he's been able to do it I'm certain he's wanted to do that for a very long time. <laughs> well, <laughs> you could just tell yeah. from how this episode is directed that he was so in love with this character. You know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, by the way, so I'm not saying this to be critical. I just genuinely think you can tell watching this that she is his baby, you know, and oh, that he is, is yeah. relishing doing this, you know, starting with that badass fight sequence where she takes down all these like soldiers in the forest. You know, like, and I, I think it's nice, you know, like, it really must be, like, complete wish fulfillment for him, you know, to make this happen. Mm. Yeah, a lot of that stuff had a... I, I have seen, obviously, the samurai references a lot, but it, to me it felt, like, very wuxia, you know, especially, like, felling through the trees and... Yeah, it was very atmospheric. Um, I've seen some people criticising the episode's lack of colour, but that didn't bother me. I'm kind of used to that in Star Wars at this point. <laughs> Rogue One has a lot to answer for, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I thought it felt right for that setting of like a a witchy dead forest, you know, and that also felt right for Ahsoka at the stage in her life where she is kind of like this solitary witch on a mission. <laughs> um, yeah, it felt it felt quite magical. I love that witch on a mission. That feels like something that could she, go on a t-shirt. She does have this witchy vibe, you know, even down to that outfit. Obviously, it's different from the outfit that we see her in right at the end of Rebels, where she's like all in that big white cloak and the hood and the, the staff. Yeah. But it was sort of a different iteration where she feels separate from conventional Jedi that we recognize from the prequels, because obviously she stepped away from that. 
and her life's taken a different path but um did have this like magic to her and and poise so for someone who hasn't really watched the clone wars do you want to talk about what this kind of gave you as an impression of ahsoka she came across to me as very saintly i suppose you know like very wise very stoic very competent clearly an amazing fighter you know very capable um, in holding her own and very interested in justice and protecting the less fortunate which are all good qualities and i think my criticism it's a heavily subjective one because i have like somewhat eccentric tastes and how i want my jedi to be but i think i like my jedi best when they're rebellious you know and they're not conforming to that saintly image you might have in your head of a jedi i feel like because even though i haven't seen the cartoons i do know the broad strokes of ahsoka's story and i know for example that at the end of the clone wars she leaves the jedi order in less than ideal circumstances shall we say and yeah i guess one of my regrets with this episode is that there wasn't really any acknowledgement of the fact that she was at this distance from the jedi order you know and i'm sure people who know the character's history will infer that you know we'll read that into the performance but i feel like if you were watching this with zero knowledge you would just assume that she was a jedi in hiding you know you wouldn't have any Mm. sense that she was at that distance from the mainstream and i wish they'd leaned into that a bit more you know because i feel that might have given her a bit more of an edge and made her a bit more appealing to me as a character yeah i think this is what's a little frustrating for me because while it worked for me um I don't know how much is coming across of how much of a great character she is mm. in this. As, if it's genuinely your first impression of the character. Um, because, as I said, I thought that this depicted how I kind of imagined that she would be at this phase in her life. But I'm not sure if that's the most compelling introduction. Because, as you say, it kind of gives this impression of someone without conflict. I would love to think that it does persuade pe- some people to go and watch The Clone Wars and learn more about her. But equally, I think it's is probably going to do nothing to persuade some other people because she's so different when she starts out in that series um she's when she's younger she's so smart and sharp and funny and she has a lot of sass and she doesn't take anakin shit and here she's obviously very serious very quiet um which i feel makes sense for the story that's been told of her but if you don't have knowledge of that um this is your impression of her and it's not necessarily bad it's just um how did she get to this point and um, what's the significance of that? Because if the episode is called The Jedi and a lot of other people refer to her as a Jedi and she doesn't dispute that, which she famously does in the animation. But like, if you don't, if you don't have that context, you probably think of her as part of the Jedi Order here because she's not telling people that they're wrong for thinking that. Yeah. She doesn't tell Din I'm not a Jedi. And I, I know some people are like, well, you can separate Jedi from the Jedi Order, which was the corrupt system that that fell. But I don't I don't know if that's something that a lot of general audience members would pick up on or or, or that would be their perception of what's go- going on here. So Yeah, exactly. And I think it just ties into my preferences for Jedi characters and stars more generally. Like, for example, my favourite Rey is Rey in The Last Jedi, where she's questioning and doubting and rebelling against Luke, you know, and literally beating Luke up. Yes, I love Rey beating Luke up. It gives me immense satisfaction every time. 
Um, I love that stuff, you know, because that to me is what gives you that like rough-edged human quality to the characters. You know, where it's not all about obedience and compliance, it's about them asserting themselves and resisting these like old rules and these old systems. But and I know that Ahsoka thing. does these things in the Clone Wars. Yeah. So I know, like intellectually speaking, that this is all part of the character. The problem is just that what I would consider to be the interesting facets of the character, none of those came through in this. No, I agree. And that's what's, <laughs> that's what's a bummer because I can see both sides of it where people who are familiar with those shows, you know, it's like, yeah, this is where she's at right now because of the, the path she's taken. And you can see that confidence she has and the self-assurance and it, it's, it's, it's really nice, honestly, because of what she's been through. And, you know, and you get glimmers of the sadness of, you know, they're still there of losing Anakin. Um, but if you're not familiar with any of that stuff, even maybe that reference would go over your head if you don't realise that this is Anakin's apprentice. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd have to sit down with someone who's completely unfamiliar with that stuff and, and watch it with them and see see what they would pick up on. You need to find like a guinea pig among your acquaintances and be like, how much do you know about Star Wars? Oh, nothing. Come on, let's watch The Mandalorian Chapter 13. <laughs> I believe people who were saying, oh, well, I watched it with my family who haven't seen those shows and they loved it. And I'm like, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they loved it in terms of like what they're actually grasping um, about the history that led to this moment. And as you say, like the themes that are being explored as a result of that, I'm not sure how much that stuff would resonate, but maybe that doesn't matter, you know? So there is lots of action in this episode. So I can understand people just being entertained on the basis of that, to be honest. Yeah, Ahsoka's a very visually striking character. Um, the fact that she has the two white lightsabers is something new, especially for live action. Um, she's a complete badass, you know, like the the action scenes are packed and even the way that it was done with the magistrate at the end, because intellectually I was like, well, <laughs> I'm not supposed to really feel like this character poses a real threat to Ahsoka physically, you know, <laughs> yes. obviously. Ahsoka has demonstrated her powers in this episode and you're aware of them already but like just I think I did think that they succeeded in building a little bit of tension there because and I had to point out I think that is the first time we've had two female characters going head to head like that in live action oh yeah right? no you're right yeah that is actually really cool I hadn't thought about that, it like that yeah as I was watching it I was like oh wow I can't <laughs> it's 2020 and I'm taking note of that because that seems like a big deal to me because um, of course we, we have Phasma as a, a villain in the sequel trilogy but that doesn't go anywhere in terms of Rey's story so yeah that, that stood out to me and um, yeah I, I thought the magistrate that actress did a great job too um, yeah. thought she was compelling and I, while I didn't feel like an emotional connection to that character obviously she was new it felt like you could believe that these two people were adversaries and there, was, there were real stakes here um, in terms of like the actual name drop of Thrawn, I'm less convinced that that would mean anything to a lot of people. And even the people that it did mean something to, like us, we were like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into it, but I think the concern there is kind of what we were talking about last week is the real danger of the show, that it's like, that means nothing to Mando and, and Baby themselves. Yep. that That's Ahsoka's beef, obviously. Um and fits with what's going on in Rebels and, you know, potential sequel there. But 
it's it again feeds into this idea of oh mando's helping out of a mission that doesn't really mean anything to him himself yeah exactly and i think that's where the crux of it is because i feel like for almost every episode this season a new plate has been spun in the air basically and it's at the point now where there's like half a dozen plates being spun in the air simultaneously. And by plates, I mean loose ends, essentially. <laughs> so things that they've teased, but they have yet to resolve. And I'm kind of like, pick your fighter, guys. You know, you cannot possibly follow up all of this in a satisfying manner. You know, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to tell a story about bo trying to get Mandalore back? Do you want to tell a story about Ahsoka doing whatever Ahsoka's going to do now? Do you want to tell a story about Grand Admiral Thrawn doing Thrawny things wherever he is? Presumably with Ezra. I don't know. And yeah, I just need it to cohere into something, you know. And this is my major frustration with it because... I feel like it's setting up all these teases. Oh, God, and Boba Fett. I'd almost completely forgot about Boba Fett. Um, (laughs) But that exemplifies it, you know? Like, there's just all these, like, unanswered questions and things up in the air. And I feel like it's impossible for the show to pay them all off. So that leads me to the conclusion that much of this is all set up for spin-offs. And first of all, I'm not sure how interested I am in many of these spin-offs. And secondly, I feel like it's all just a huge distraction from Mando's story. You know, like he's kept that bloody mask on all season. And we really, really need to see him emote more. The most we've seen him emote in this whole season was in The Passenger. Because there we finally had time and opportunity for that to happen. Because he developed a relationship with Frog Lady. And she taught him some valuable lessons. And yeah. I I think we did get some emotion in this one, but I totally get what you're saying. It's time for the mask to come off. Take it off. (laughs) (laughs) I love the stride. It's not at all because I find Pedro Pascal very cute. (laughs) It's for serious Star Wars related reasons. We need to see that raw, passionate emotion (laughs) from a man who just so happens to be rather attractive. Um... (laughs) yeah no i i get it and i just i've been reminding myself that at the end of the day and this is really cynical but it's the truth the mandalorian is proof of concept for for lucasfilm yeah it's the first live action show it really was them testing out the water and it seems to have succeeded so they have all of these potential things that could happen afterwards and they are just kind of seeing what what floats and what resonates with people and um you know we're hearing rumors about the boba fett spin-off and i i don't know how firm ideas of, of an ahsoka one are beyond people just kind of wishing for it but i could see that happening too they've taken the time to find someone to portray that character in live action um and and all sorts of other things like you don't mention thrawn if you're not planning to do something with that and it's possible like like was said that that could take place in an entirely different story but then what's it doing here what does that mean for din and grogu nothing that's not related to the gideon stuff and gideon is their primary antagonist as far as we can tell thus far so what is going on like i'm not complaining about it too much because i do think we got a lot of emotional connection between them here and i loved that scene where ahsoka's like trying to get grogu to give her the rock back and he steps in and he knows that he will be much more interested in the the ball from the 
is it the gear stick in the in the race <laughs> yes no you're right which yeah, is yeah. obviously like a little thing from last season as well and it's just it's it's nice to see him that he knows that that's what will make a difference and just the reaction from grogu of hearing din say his real name was really cute it was really cute. It remi- I'll tell you what it reminded me of. Uh, I, I'm sometimes a total sap and like on YouTube or Twitter, things will come up on my timeline where it's things like deaf baby gets hearing aid fitted for the first time. Oh, yeah. And they'll like show a baby and like this poor little thing hasn't been able to hear a thing since it was born. And then suddenly it has the hearing aid and it will hear its mum talking to it for the first time and it like instantly looks over and it's like, what? What's this magical noise? And then like it's starts getting all emotional and stuff it's like obviously it's not quite that emotive in Mando you know like it's not quite that far but you're right it's that moment of recognition and it's like he knows me (laughs) but yeah it brings him closer and I I don't don't think there's a problem with uh, Mando calling him kid but to know someone's name is significant and we we see that as a, a significant theme throughout Star Wars really don't we in all of these different iterations once someone is given a name or someone refers to them as their true name, um, things change a little and it becomes more intimate. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a limitation there in terms of the the reality that he's a he's a puppet. <laughs> They've achieved a lot. They've achieved a lot with that little puppet, definitely. I think there's a lot they can do. I think my concern, and I, I'm far from the only person who's concerned about this, is the fact that you have a puppet and a masked character. Yes. And they're the core so I believe that they're building this bond and I think this episode did a lot of heavy lifting to kind of illustrate just how far they've come and there were some really sweet tender moments and that's what I'd been kind of living for so yeah. I'm glad that we got them but in terms of like how far it can go I think we're really kind of hitting a wall unless he does start taking that mask off and of course that ties in to all of the stuff that he's learned about Mandalorian culture um, and how his sect wasn't necessarily indicative of the, the way they did things, the way uh, wasn't indicative of how every Mandalorian does. And we, we haven't seen him reflect on that stuff yet. And that was from a couple of episodes back. So yeah. as he said, there are so many things up in the air and it's just kind of, how is all of this going to be resolved? And I, it's really hard to tell because we know that season three is coming, but we don't know the overall scope of what this show is going to be. Um, so if they said we're planning on doing five or six seasons, I'd have a bit more... I think I'd be able to relax a little bit about it, but we we just don't know. Um, And of course, they are, it's clear that they are using it to test out all of these other different shows. And and that kind of draws you out of it. It doesn't feel as immersive when you recognize things like that. It's like, oh, yeah, it kind of brings me back into the real world. And I'm I'm reminded about Lucasfilm and the plans for the franchise rather than just focusing on this story. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I feel like, if I could pick for them to focus on one thread, you know, to pick up one thread that they've set out so far this season, it would be the stuff with Bo-Katan. And that's because that is the stuff that I feel has the strongest relevance to Din's own story and would be the strongest engine for his character development, specifically in taking the bloody helmet off, (laughs) because that's what I really want to happen. So, yeah. But then we also have all the stuff that relates more to Grogu and the 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 stuff that's been you know pursuing him and and why and and now we have well who took him from the jedi temple was it someone trying to help him or was that when he was kind of taken for the purposes of you know the m count <laughs> sorry i'm sorry 
<laughs> I'm never going to go over the M count. Um, but, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Like it, those are all good and relevant mysteries. And I have to think that we'll get answers to those in the Mandalorian. You know, there's got to be some sort of statute of limitations on what you can and cannot do in spin-offs. And those things do not belong in spin-offs. They're part of the story of the Mandalorian. So yeah, I hope they get resolution, basically. Hmm. Oh, I was just kind of thinking about how our understanding of Baby Yoda has changed so much in the last few episodes. Oh God, so much. Because <laughs> he's no longer like just this cute little baby. You're reminded that he is 50 years old. He lived at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. He was trained by masters. And so he's had a level of training. He knows to some extent what he's doing. Yep. Um, and then he was taken and all of his memories get very murky. But even though we knew that he was 50, it like it brings that more to the forefront and you're reminded. So it's like this weird thing where he's a baby and has this, well, toddler level of understanding in some cases, as we saw in The Passenger where he was eating the eggs and he was told not to and he didn't quite understand. But also that he's received all this training. Um, yeah, and he has all of this story. And uh, I'm just, it's like, oh, how do I kind of recalibrate this character in my mind? Yeah, uh, th- that stuff is all very important. I'll just read the relevant quote just so we have the exact wording from Ahsoka. He was raised at the Jedi Temple in Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. So yeah, um, this is very profound and game-changing information, and it feeds into my crack theory that Baby Yoda is the child of Yoda and Yaddle. That there was a hot, <laughs> hot affair that happened in the past. So it does make sense. It doesn't even refer to Baby Yoda being brought to the temple. It just says he was raised at the Jedi Temple. By his father yeah. and his mother, who sadly died post Phantom Menace and just didn't turn up on Geonosis for some reason so we have to assume she's dead another dead mother in Star Wars it's just <laughs> justice for Yaddle yeah exactly justice for Yaddle but yeah no it, it's just a lot and I think that's another reason why I have these very very conflicted murky feelings about this episode because it is just like paradigm shifting you know in terms mm. of what is this character because and and I also have to admit that the point about having many masters trained him, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, I don't like to be crude. It gave me war flashbacks to this bullshit discourse with Ray, where it's just endless complaining and bitching that Ray shouldn't be able to do anything as a Jedi because she hasn't been trained, and people just still whinging about it even now. And I really liked the fact that Baby Yoda just seemed to have these powers, you know, it's a magical, beautiful, mystical thing, you know. And now it's like, oh no, it's trained. <laughs> it's like... Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was some stuff there that felt new in what she was saying about having the Force and those powers. She kind of... She said something about if we didn't train him, his powers would fade. Mm, yeah, you're right. Isn't that... Is that a new idea? Because I don't... I don't think I've been aware of that. I always kind of figured that, you know, whether you trained them or not, the powers would be there and they could potentially be dangerous if someone wasn't trained. Have I just kind of made that up as a headcanon? Yeah, like it certainly wasn't part of my consciousness of what I meant to be a Jedi. 
um, before this episode. I feel like that's a new suggestion. Um, and yeah, like I, I'm not sure how. I, feel. I mean, how over how much time is she thinking? Because he hasn't been trained for a long time at this point. Surely, if he was taken from the temple, you know, that was decades ago. So if he hasn't received any training since then, and he's still using these powers, and people are still after him because his M count is so high, how many more years are we talking that he would then be safe and his powers would fade? Yeah, like I, I'm not <laughs> sure. I love that I, whole idea as a whole concept. To be honest, I feel it just adds another level of convolution to it. You know, the, the idea that these skills have an expiry date, essentially. Um, so yeah, like again, and it's just another signal of the fact that there's just lots of information in this episode and I need it to like chill out and take a few steps back because it's just a lot and I think the thing is I'm so used at this point to Mando being a very low stake show you know where there's not much in the way of big revelatory information so then when you get all this dumped on you in the span of five minutes it's just a lot to process I think hmm yeah no I understand I, I think that, yeah, the pacing of the show is a little strange because obviously we do have this adventure of the week feel and then they they have to have these episodes that feel a little more high stakes but as a result it can feel a bit kind of packed full of, I don't know what you would call it, lore, exposition, yeah. just stuff that like suddenly like, oh, okay, this is what we're dealing with, didn't realise. Um, and maybe it just, you know, over, over time that stuff will kind of just blend into our understanding of the characters in the show but just like first watching it is it feels like a lot yeah definitely um what did you think about the latest group of persecuted townspeople Kirsty? <laughs> uh i didn't quite i guess i'm, I'm tr- trying to think about like what the magistrate story was so she had these people elsewhere who were massacred and then she's been traveling the galaxy since then to I guess like mine planets and destroy them for their materials. Yeah, it wasn't super clear to me why she, why she was there. Yeah, am I am I just being stupid? No, no, you're not being stupid at all. That I did actually, uh, I was very confused by this as well. So on my third viewing mm. of the episode, it, it took me a few times to grasp what was going on. I recorded this quote: Morgan Elspeth, which by the way sounds like a peak 2005 Live Journal username. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. Morgan Elspeth. During the Clone Wars, her people were massacred. She survived and let her anger fuel an industry which helped build the Imperial Starfleet. She plundered worlds, destroying them in the process. So I guess the idea is that she's in the process of destroying another world to plunder it during this episode, basically. Um, yeah, I think Din points out you can see that <laughs> from <laughs> the way all the trees are dead and there's a lot of smoke around yeah i like that Um, even though she's ruining this planet she still clearly took pains to have this ornamental garden set up for her you know so she's got a very beautiful residence yeah that was interesting symbolism wasn't it really to have this beautiful ostentatious i guess like perfect garden in this walled city that no one else could access and everything outside is dead and decaying yeah Um, no it was a nice contrast i did enjoy that um i guess it raised some questions to me in terms and this is all stuff i maybe someone at lucasfilm will probably be like oh you're thinking too much about it but i was just thinking about like how did bo-katan know that ahsoka was there does that mean that she's been living on that planet for a while 
Because it seemed like she was there for this specific piece of information from the magistrate, and then she got it, and presumably she'll be moving on. So her, her and Bo-Katan in, like, constant contact? <laughs> Are they just um, texting back and forth? <laughs> doesn't seem right that she would be living there, because it didn't seem, like, super inheritable outside of the city walls. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Ahsoka would have to be a bit of a glutton for punishment, to be honest, to live on a place like that. It didn't look well, pleasant at Jedi, all. Well, she's Jedi, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's part of the characteristics, isn't it? Um, but yeah, like, I, I feel like, again, that is something where they probably just didn't think about it that much, to be honest. Um, which is a disappointing truth. She'd like to think that everything is quite well thought out in these ways. but Just the way it was set up with her like attacking the guards at the beginning and the magistrate talking to her. Oh, who was that character? The Michael Bean character? I don't know her, his her, name. Her guard. Um, it just gave, gave me the sense of like she's a recent problem for them. She's just arrived and she's intent on getting this information and access to the magistrate, but she wasn't always there. Yeah. So it just like struck me. I was like, how did Bogotá know she was there? But it's probably something that I'm never going to get the answer to. Yeah, so they'll probably include it in a book or that. something. There'll be a prequel novel explaining all the circumstances <laughs> leading up to it. Because when Bogotá said it and she like described this forest, it sounded like that was Ahsoka's permanent home at this point. You know, um, but it's a very different impression we get here. Yeah. I feel like in terms of my problems of the episode, one of my more fundamental problems is just the plot generally. And obviously it's never like a big strong point of the Mandalorian, let's be honest. You know, it's a very standard formula where Mandalorian goes to a place, he wants something from the place. He meets people who can help him get the thing, but they tell him he needs to help them do something first. And then he helps them and then they give him the next piece of information he needs and he goes on his way. That's basically the plot of every single episode. And it's like, fine, that they have this thing, they're committing to it, I can respect that. I think my problem in this one is there's just these really like logical plot devices that go on that I wasn't really cool with. Like, for example, at the start when Mandalorian goes to Morgan and she obviously tasks him with killing Ahsoka, it felt like a bit of an empty plot device. Because there's no like drama in that, you know. We know for a fact that the whole reason Mando is on the planet is to find Ahsoka so she can help to train the child. He has no intention of killing her at all, you know. So mm. it kind of makes that whole idea as as part of the plot completely redundant, and there's never like any consequences to that, you know. You never really feel like he's going to attempt to kill her at all. Um, <laughs> And yeah, there's just other weird things like, for example, there's the street vendor who's in the city with the two young children and Mando approaches him early on and he's like, oh no, you mustn't talk to us. And then you don't really see that character again until the very end when when all the fighting's happening. There's some like confusing cutting and editing where you briefly see him like running out but then it cuts to Mando doing something then it cuts back to the other guy and he's sort of like oh Mando did a thing Woo. and I think he was about to run out and rescue those prisoners somehow he right? was they were about to die yeah but... no he was about to do that I think my problem is just that it was edited in quite a confusing way and then at the very end of the episode they show him being made like the new mayor of the town or something and it's just like there just was not enough build up to that character to justify that you know because they have like this hero moment for him and he's like a 
a cameo basically you know he's barely in the thing and yeah like I, i'm just ranting at this point and it's not a big deal in the greatest scheme of things you know but it's just all mm. these like little things that built up to bother me and distract me from what was going on i think yeah it really felt like a clone wars episode in those respects so maybe people who are more familiar with that format would just be more comfortable with it but i agree that there are little things that didn't quite tie up yeah super well and smoothly um in terms of ahsoka refusing to train grogu i think that was probably something we could all anticipate because then it would be a pretty quick ending to the show (laughs) (laughs) but i did like the reasons that she gave for it because at first you think she's kind of just echoing what the jedi order used to say like in terms of what yoda said about anakin when he was brought to them in phantom menace right yeah but really she's actually showing much more compassion than the Jedi because I think she's learned from their mistakes and she saw what happened to her master and she's, she wants to be kind by saying, no, you guys need to stay together. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's definitely something I liked. The fact that she clearly sees that the child is better off with Mando, essentially. Mm. I appreciate that. My one problem with that, and I guess you can get around it by like thinking, oh, well, she's, you know, she's prioritizing Grogu's agency at this point. Is that at the end when she mentions Typhon and going to that the, there'll be a Jedi maybe who will hear him reaching out through the Force and they'll come and train him. I was like, wait a minute, you just said you thought that training him was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was a little bit confused by that. There's probably some other explanation that people have provided, but for me, it just kind of sticks out as one of these things where I'm like, okay, she thinks that. Grogu should make the decision for himself and I don't disagree with that part because at this point we've learned that Grogu was actually much more sentient and capable than previous episodes suggested yeah he's not just a goo goo gaga cute ball of yodiness so yeah yeah who can't help himself eating all of those eggs what we're saying is that he has criminal responsibility <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing <laughs> um, Jail him. I do like the idea of them going to this place and Grogu being the one to reach out through the force and choose his own master if that's kind of where that goes I have a feeling that when they attempt to go to Typhon it's not going to be quite that easy and maybe that's the point where Moff Gideon catches up with them Yeah. but um, yeah I'm just having a hard time reconciling those two things in my mind and obviously it's just kind of plot conveniences but it just it fit for me that she decided it wasn't the right choice to train him but somehow it's different if someone else trains him yeah no it's interesting isn't it and i must say with all these like developments and the reintroduction of the jedi through ahsoka i am starting to increasingly suspect that we will see luke in this show i don't want it i don't want it to happen but i sincerely like i i think it's a serious possibility at this point if I see one more tweet about Sebastian Stan. Oh my god. Hey, guys, do you know that there are other actors outside of the MCU? Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, there's my little soul. Oh my I just. That is I would, so true, though. If we're going to have Luke Skywalker, he has to be an unknown. I'm sorry. Like, you just please don't go there with the fan casting enough with the fan casting it's either that or it's going to be a um wwe wrestler because i feel like that's where they're going for all the um actors <laughs> sorry that's really me the, the luke stuff that opens a whole other can of worms but that in itself might be them setting up a potential series for luke and his band of jedi 
Yeah. It might not it might not be Mando focused, but that's the thing. You're you're seeing all of these threads picked up and it's like to what end? And you just don't know at this point. So it's hard to know what to emotionally invest in. And I do think it ends up raising a lot of fans' hopes. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of people now hoping to see Luke. Yes. You know? Whereas previously that might not have been a distinct possibility. Yeah. You know, it's creating a bit of an addictive relationship between the show and the audience. And this will sound really strange, but hold on while I try and explain it. But, like, say that someone has, like, a drug habit. I feel like this episode represented a very high dosage you know, in terms of, like, pure Star Wars, like, pure concentrated Star Wars, essentially. And I feel like if people become too dependent on that to see value in the show, you know, they associate a good episode of The Mandalorian with getting stuff like huge lore dumps and having Ahsoka be a guest star, you know, how well is the show going to be able to sustain people's interest when it is just episodes with The Mandalorian and the Yoda and Baby Yoda? You know, Mm. like, are those episodes in their own right going to be able to hold on to people in the long term? And yeah, yeah, that that just points to like the bigger systemic issues I have with some of the decisions they've been making. But I really, really want them to prove me wrong. You know, I want to see the rest of the show really develop and build up that relationship between Mando and the baby even more. So, yeah, and just pull it back, you know, and refocus things. That's what I'd really love. But we will see. I'm going to be a complete clown here and (laughs) coming back to baby Yoda losing his memories of what happened after he was taken from the temple Mm. I'm like do I think Lucasfilm will approach a character with you know clear evidence of trauma with tact and sensitivity this time around yeah who knows Um, (laughs) be nice to think so it would be nice to think so but um, judging by the sequel trilogy and i just i don't know i can't put my eggs in that basket again because um yeah i just think ahsoka's temperament when she was discussing that kind of stuff was refreshing you know she is caring and calm and she recognizes his loneliness and that he was in that dark place and i don't think there was that kind of sympathetic self-assured um confident figure within the sequel trilogy as like a mentor figure yeah um, because you don't get there with characters like Luke and Leia because it turns out that they weren't being honest the whole time. So Ahsoka... And, and they had their own beef to be dealing with. Obviously, there was a war going on and Luke was going through this his own existential crisis um, where Ahsoka is not in that place. So she kind of can be that voice of compassion and reason for, for Grogu in a way that Rey and Ben just did not have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just interested to see tentatively... Um, you know, bracing myself, but I'm just kind of interested to see if that goes anywhere and they are saying anything powerful with that storyline. Yeah. Because I do think there's a potential there, really, to connect it with Din's own past and kind of and bring that stuff forward more into the, the story. Yeah, and I feel that's the sort of stuff that has the richest possibilities for the core narrative, where it is just Din and the baby, you know, mm. because like it can't just be them having like a cute little adventure every week you know that's fun but there needs to be some sort of sense of progression or momentum to things you know to keep people invested and to keep them watching and I think to have that moment of clarity for Din you know where he realizes that this attachment isn't just about him being protective of a vulnerable little creature 
it's also about him wrestling with his own past and coming to terms with that a bit more that sort of thing would be really nice to see because yeah I think they started him on that road at the end of season one where the armorer is all giving him the speech and explaining how the baby's a foundling and how he has this responsibility towards the baby Mm -hmm. and yeah I think you suggested Kirsty that something they could do at the end of this season is to have say baby Yoda kidnapped by Moff Gideon you know and taken away from Din it would then be interesting to see the ramifications of that and how Din would process that and what he would do as a consequence so I think that would represent some nice character development and give the opportunity give the character a real opportunity to grow yeah, I think they're gonna. There's gonna have to be something like that that's pretty high stakes by the end of season two. Yeah, it can't just keep trundling along. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gonna be something like that. I don't, you know, I don't want to make any firm predictions, but um, I think there's the potential for that happening. Yeah, they're gonna convert Baby Yoda to the dark side. Oh. <laughs> Was it you who told me that they could do like a Darth Baby Yoda thing, like a la Darth Jar Jar? I've seen this theory floating around. I don't put much stock in it, but people think that because he was like force choking uh, Cara Dune and that stuff in, in season Such one. Such taste, sorry. <laughs> I know, <laughs> looking back on that rather fondly at this point. <laughs> Turns out he knew exactly what he was doing, yeah. so that's great. Um, yeah, I think some people are like, oh, maybe Baby will turn to the dark side. I don't really see that happening, but um, <laughs> it might add some flavour. Yeah, like, I'm very curious about how much they're going to let the baby grow up, you know? I wonder if we're ever going to see the baby, like, talk intelligibly, for example, you know? Like, I guess it will depend on how many seasons the show lasts. But now we know that the baby isn't really so much of a baby, you know, because, I don't know, but a baby, surely it's not going to be trained by many masters, you know? So it's got to have a somewhat higher level of functioning than that. Um Mm because yeah like it just changes things about our perception of the character and what he might be capable of yeah so i'm gonna be interested to see what happens over the next few episodes with him for sure yeah lots of ways they can take it um but yeah anything else Kirsty, to round this out i don't think so it's been interesting to kind of watch the reactions on social media but i think it's always good to remind yourself that things get cranked up to 11 really don't they yeah like it's very intense and people f- maybe are pressured to fall into a camp of loving something or hating it and i know it's not as interesting to say some things were good and some things were bad but that's just where i'm at yeah um and you know i'll, I'll judge the season as a whole once it's done um but you know there were moments in season one where i was like oh i don't quite see where this is going and doesn't feel like there's a ton of momentum at this point and even that was the case halfway through which is kind of where we're at now yeah so we've got these last few episodes so we've just got to see how they play out exactly Um, but yeah i think you said last week and it's kind of where i'm at too that you know you're enjoying this show but it is like maybe the obi-wan one will be a bit more in line with what we want to see (laughs) yeah exactly i feel like there's just a lot lacking in terms of the emotional stuff, you know, that I think we both respond to really heavily in Star Wars. And yeah, I feel like just having human actors with faces to emote would help a lot with that. Well, I, I so, think yeah. Ahsoka did did a lot of work in that respect in this episode, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I know she is very calm and serene, but um, 
I just think it was great to have Din talking to someone who could like kind of mediate between him and Grogu a bit and yes, and bring all this stuff to light that was obviously there under the surface, but he just wasn't aware of. And it was like this communication blocker that then allows them. I'm, I'm interested to see next week if we're going to see a difference in how those two characters communicate. Because even when he goes back to the ship to get him and he's like sleeping in his little hammock, it just seemed a lot more... Um, tender and intimate yes i don't know if that was just me kind of projecting but that's kind of the vibe that that scene had for me yeah no i see that and i also particularly like how um (laughs) mando has like this little holster almost that he keeps the baby in now so you don't have like the floating crib anymore really like baby yoda is just where like a gun would be (laughs) this is a dumb comparison but in the past i've seen these things come up where they have like manly baby carriers so it's sort of like baby wearing, but it's for men. As in, like, the, the baby carriers, like, covered with khaki and they're trying to make it look like military gear when you're taking your I've baby seen those for a too. Walk. And it reminded me of that vibe. I got something of that vibe from Mando carrying the baby in the holster. I was like, I want to see him with something that's just, like, really, like, cozy and, like, child friendly, you know, something, like, bright and colourful, but that won't happen. Well, I can't really draw attention to him when that <laughs> that guard or whatever he's called like notices him. He's like, "What's that?" He's like, "Oh, I carry him around for luck." <laughs> like he's a little leprechaun or something. Yeah. I, I, I like. I it would make zero sense. It would be incredibly stupid. But I just want to see him wearing like a baby sling with hearts on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I've, yeah, I think that's a good sign that I need to stop for the day because I'm just becoming very silly. Um, but yeah, it was really good to talk to you about the episode, Kirsty. I feel like I've worked through a lot of my feelings, so thank you. The hate is less strong. And like, honestly, I never hated it. You know, I was just very conflicted, I think. And I, I feel like I'm coming to terms with it a bit more and I'm starting to see the positive aspects of the, sh- of the episode too. Um, whereas before, I was much more focusing on the things that I didn't like so much, so... It's good to have more balanced feelings. That's understandable. I think it's like, it depends on your mood when you're watching as well. And like, whether you're kind of in the mindset of, okay, I'm going to just take this show on its own terms and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Um, or if you're like, no, I, I really want more to come from this. And and I I think there there is potential there to be a lot more interesting and deep. And I don't know, I, I go back and forth on it a lot. And my feelings change a lot upon rewatch a lot of the time as well. So uh, just kind of got to see where it goes um but yeah emotions run high in the star wars fandom for sure yes exactly it's an interesting place to be on the internet let's put it that way um, i think it's just mm-hmm. that like each episode this season is kind of it it plays into our growing concerns about the story that we've made pretty clear at this point so yeah. it's not like it's this episode's fault for that it's just that it comes after last week and the week before that um so yeah but none of that i think it's not like that's feloni's fault specifically it's just kind of like as the show moves along and you expect this kind of momentum um yeah maybe that's working for you or maybe it isn't yeah exactly i think that's a very reasonable summation um okay cool so let's wrap it up i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel1918 I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!